This week, the Triathlete Hour is all about what we're missing, the big island. This is the week most of us would be in Kona. And so Bob Babbitt joins us to look back at all the times he's been to Kona and what he's missing. He hasn't missed a race since he did at one of the first Ironmans when it was still held on Oahu 40 years ago. And he taps into that encyclopedic knowledge of the sport to share some of his favorite moments, to tell us how it's changed over the years and how it hasn't, and what he's dreaming about right now in Hawaii. First up, though, our editors spend a lot of time every year covering the Ironman World Championships, telling the stories of the athletes out there and what it took to get there. And so I asked each of them to share one of their favorite memories from Kona. From Lucy's repass last year to Matt Russell's comeback to the first time they realized what this event meant when Chris Ado tried to hold off Craig Alexander out there on the Queen K. They'll share their favorite Kona moments after this break. Even though most of us aren't racing right now, we're all still focused on our overall health and well-being. That's where MitoQ comes in. Like everything else in our body, our mitochondria become less efficient as we age. From the age of 30 on, levels of CoQ10 in the mitochondria can decline by 10% with each passing decade. This means our body's natural resilience also declines, which can impact our training, recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, stress, hormones, and brain power. This is why a new supplement called MitoQ is becoming increasingly popular among athletes. It helps the body to better absorb intense training periods and recover faster. Some athletes have even noted improved VO2 max, heart rate variability, and lactate thresholds. When you combine those things with not needing as long to recover and being able to maintain more intense training cycles, you can see why it might result in performance gains. To learn more about MitoQ's unique formula, independent clinical trials, and athlete testimonials, visit www.mitoq.com. That's M-I-T-O-Q.com. I'm Oz Hitchens, Senior Digital Editor at Triathlete, and I've been a part of this team for a little bit over a decade, and I've had the privilege of watching so many big moments, so many record-breaking moments on the Big Island, and so I really had to take some time and think about this, but I really think the moments that stand out the most to me are the ones that showcase the human spirit and just the toughness of this race that makes it so unique. So I think if I'm gonna pick one, I'm gonna go back to the first time I saw this race in person, which was the 2009. Ironman World Championship and um, watching Chris Lieto come off the bike, everybody was so aware of how far ahead they needed to be from Crowey because he had won the previous year with an amazing marathon and Chris had a 12 minute lead and the question was, would that be enough? And he was running and everyone wanted an American win to win. And so watching him surrender that lead at 20 plus miles out on the Queen K to Crowey and him try to stick with him and just the grit and toughness on his face and that kind of surrender moment of letting Crowey have the victory and him going by, but then still holding on because Andreas Rayler wasn't too far behind. Um, I don't know, that was something I will never forget and kind of was the first moment where I really got why this race is so special. Um, that and then just watching Crowey cross the finish line and Lieto coming in second and just the respect that they had for each other is something I will never forget. Those two kind of still remain some of the, the icons of our sport in terms of um, just being quality athletes and on the course and off the course. And that's definitely something I will never forget. And that's my favorite Kona memory. 
I'm Chris Foster, senior editor at Triathlete. My favorite Kona moment would have to be 2018, um, watching Matt Russell finish sixth place overall. Um, Because in 2017, um, Matt was in this horrible uh, bike versus car accident on the course um, at Kona. Uh, You know, this accident, he hit hit the side of a car going like 30 miles an hour um, and basically almost ended his life. Um, you know, here's Matt was in great shape, you know, a new baby, all these things going for him. And just like the blink of an eye in a place where you should feel safe, you know, almost all that ended. Um, but you know, he recovered, he came back, uh, he accepted a wild card entry to the next year for Ironman world championships. And, um, you know, to finish sixth after something that just, you know, basically almost ended his whole world. Um, interviewing Matt after that, that was, that was pretty emotional. That was pretty cool. Um, and that's my favorite Kona memory. I'm Emma Kate Lidberry, Managing Editor at Triathlete. So one of my favorite Kona memories is actually from last year's race, the women's race and the performance that we saw from Lucy Charles Barkley. It was for me such a display of guts and grit and resilience. She had led from the very start of the race, uh, out of the water first, off the bike first, took a six minute lead out onto the run course. And she held that lead until around mile 15 when she was passed by Anne Howell, who went on to win the race. She was also passed by Sarah Crowley. And I think for so many athletes, um, being passed at that stage in the race would have led them to melt down and, you know, and fall, fall way back. But we didn't see that from Lucy. We saw her claw her way back into second place, uh, something that you rarely see on the Big Island, especially this deep into this, into this race. Um, for me, that just showed so much grit, guts and resilience that I think will honestly uh, lead to her conquering this race in the very near future. And that's my favorite Kona memory. Those were our editors, Liz, Chris, and Emma Kate, and I'm Kelly O'Mara, Editor-in-Chief at Triathlete. And this year was actually going to be my first year covering this historic race. Since I just started this job back in February, I was looking forward to the Big Island. And so actually, I've only been to Kona once and only one time. And let me tell you, the thing that they don't quite warn you, even though they warn you, is of how much of a scene it is, how big and how much of a production, how humid, how hot, how many people, and how many people who all came there fit and fast and ready to go. And so while I loved the race and I, I loved the midnight finishers, the year I did it, uh, it was one of the first years Hiromu Inada from Japan became the oldest finisher right before midnight. And he's still going, actually. As much as I loved all of that, my favorite things actually and the things I remember the most are in the lead up to race day. The long rides out to Javi and and standing in an air-conditioned resort trying to cool off, uh, eating pokey for every meal, doing the beer mile out at the old airport while Jan uh, did his night before cool down warm-up jog, I guess, and partying after it was all over. Definitely the parties are the best part about Kona Week. So we hope to see all of you back out there next year. Share some of your favorite memories with us, too, on social media this week. We'll be looking back at everything. And now Bob Babbitt will chat with us some about the history and how this race has changed over its 42-odd years. All right, this week for, you know, Ironman Race Week, we're all not in Kona. We figured we'd talk to the man, Bob Babbitt, founder of Competitor Magazine, founder of Challenge Athletes Foundation, did his first Ironman back in 1980 when it wasn't on the Big Island. It was still in Oahu. Uh, so that's, you know, you've been around for a while, Bob. 
since the earth was still cooling, <laughs> Kelly. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of, actually, this is the first year I'm not in Kona since 1980. I was going to ask you, have you been every year? Have you been to every single one? Every year. Every yep. year. Been to every one since the third one, which I was in, in 1980. And um, been back every single year since. Wow. Does it ever get old? Are you ever like, oh man, this is the same thing every year? You know what? It never does because every year is so different, right? You know, even if it's a, even throughout the 80s when you knew it was Dave Scott and Mark Allen, right? you knew that <laughs> right. the battle was going to be between those two guys, it's still, you still never knew what was going to happen. I mean, you know, Mark, Dave Scott pulls out the night before in 1988 and you're like, okay, finally Mark's going to win this thing. Then he flats okay. and gets fifth. So you just, you know, it's one of those things what makes great Iron Man so great is the fact that pretty much the same course since 1981. Um, so there's that history element. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, anybody who's been great has walked down those magical stairs into the into Kailua Bay. And then, you know, throughout the day, if you took that course and put it in a bubble, it would be a really fast course. But right. you don't. The heat, the wind, the, the competition. To me, Cal, one of the things that that – people underestimate is one of the reasons that race is so great. If you go to Ironman Arizona or Ironman Texas, people have different motivations. Some people are validating. Mm-hmm. Some people are, hey, I'm, I'm trying to get a, I'm trying to go sub eight. I'm, I'm using this as a, a training race for something else. Everybody's in Kona for the same reason. They're there to have the best race of their life. The, the level of, as you know, being a pro, it, the competition there, the level of competition at most races, you might have two, three people you're thinking about who are right. going to be competitive with you. When you get there, there are seriously 30 guys and gals who think that they're going to be on a podium. Oh, yeah. And nobody, yeah. Right? Everybody there is frothing in the mouth for that day. Nobody's training through that for Ironman Florida. That would be really Ironman. funny, though. <laughs> yeah. So, if they were like, oh, yeah. no, just a training day, just out here. <laughs> Yeah, this is my actually one time I remember I think I was interviewing Yvonne Van Vlerken and basically she said, Hey, you know, my real race is Ironman Florida. <laughs> I'm sort of I'm just going I'm gonna get through this. I'm like, Oh my god, I've never heard anybody right. say that. Even if somebody had finished thirtieth in their head, they're going, If things break right, I'm on a podium. Yeah, you I'm never know. Five. Yeah, you never know, right? What have been some of your biggest surprises then? Because you never know, right? Like, that's why we race, because otherwise we would just, like, compare power numbers on a spreadsheet. We race. What have been your biggest surprises over the years? You know, probably number one, Chrissy Wellington. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Chrissy Wellington comes in 2007, and she had been, you know, trying to make the Olympic team. That was her thing. And I think she was trying to – thought she was going to make 2008 Olympics and had just started training with Brett Sutton, and Brett saw – that she was a diesel. She's somebody who can go all day and had her do Ironman Korea. And that even with a flat, she, you know, she wins the race and qualifies for Kona. When she came over, I mean, she had logos duct taped to her jersey, no sunglasses, no visor, smiling, kissing babies. <laughs> and we kept thinking, she's going to get off the bike. She's got to blow up. Right. Who, who is this woman? And she just kept going. And if you look at 07, 08, 09, every year she won by more. Oh, right? yeah, she, yeah. She was like the most dominant person who came seriously out of nowhere. We really have not had, I mean, you think about a Jan Ferdano who was Olympic gold medalist or Sebastian Keenley who 
had had success at other races. And actually, the other one was Luke Van Lierde, oh, okay. when he came over in 1996. Because back then, you didn't have to qualify, right? Oh, back really? Then, you could just show up. You were invited. <laughs> so Karen Smyers was invited over in 92 or 93 for her first one because, you know, she'd been world champion at the ITU level. And when Luke did the Ironman in 96, he'd never run a marathon. He'd never done an Ironman and broke the course record first time out. And I remember, you know, asking him about the wind afterwards. And he's like, listen, I trained in Belgium. I, I didn't think the wind was a big deal. What he didn't realize was the wind was, was brutal, not brutal that year. But when he came back and did it again, the next time he was like, hey, the worst wind last year was the easiest win right. this year. Right. <laughs> like, he learned a valuable lesson that the wind is different pretty much every time you do that race. Oh, yeah. I mean, isn't that like, that's part of what's brutal about Kona is you never know what the conditions are going to be like, right? It's just crazy. Right. Yeah. It's all about the conditions. Okay. So, so those, those are your two big surprises you're saying, like that really stand out in your mind as like crazy? Yeah, off the top of, my, top of my head, I would say that in terms of surprises, when I look at a, you know, a Craig Alexander you knew he was going to be good, and you knew Macca was going to be good. You knew uh, Pete Jacobs, by the mm -hmm. time he finally won, he'd been there a lot of years. I mean, really, if there was another one, Patrick Lange, when he came over in 16 for the first time, and, and he was ready to drop out of the sport before he won <laughs> Ironman Texas that year. And then he ends up, you know, running, I think he came off the bike in 22nd or something and ran his way, mm -hmm. the 239 marathon, broke Mark Allen's course record uh, for the marathon and came to third. That was, that was a, a big surprise to see that guy finishing third his first time in Kona. But there's right. certain people, Marinda Carfrey is another one, they just, and Crowey, they come over and they get it. Both right. Marinda and Crowey were second the first time out and then they won the next time. Yeah, I mean, they come, like, ready, like, very focused. I think they very much, like, peak mentality. Like, this is this is the race, right, for the year, so. This is it. And uh -huh. they, they had made the decision when they moved from, well, especially Crowey. Crowey had been doing short distance, was thinking Olympics. And when he made that decision and was dominating at the 70.3, and which was fairly new at the time, mm -hmm. he knew that the key was, was Kona. That's okay. where he was going. And so he was training with that in mind. Okay. So as you've been, I mean, you've been every year, obviously like some of your favorite moments, I'm sure are the pros are like, you know, epic. Some are not pros, right? Like some of your favorite things have to be like further back in oh, the yeah. age group field. So what are some of your like favorite moments, favorite races? You know, for me, a lot of what Ironman represents is, you know, anything is possible. Right. So when I think back to, uh, a guy you, you probably might not have ever heard of, a guy named Jim Howley. Hmm. Jim Howley, when I first met Jim at, uh, at this Mike and Rob's triathlon up in Ventura, he had been diagnosed with AIDS, and his T-cell count was three. And he told me his goal in life, and he, had an 18, he had 18 months to live. Huh. I mean, he, he, he had, he, actually, he had less than half to live. He was supposed to be dead already. He started, he wanted to, get in, wanted to do Ironman. And at the time, and we still do have a, a spot for Ironman through Challenge Athlete Foundation, and he his friends raised enough money to get him that spot. And he came over, and I remember just the mentality was Ironman at the time saying, hey, this guy 
has AIDS, is this going to be safe for people at the AIDS stations, right? And his doctor was calling me, Dr. Cohen was calling me saying, Bob, he has a disease that eats muscle mass. And now he's exercising, which is going to, it's going to debilitate him even more. Well, what happened is all of a sudden between the cocktails he was taking and the training, his T cells went from three to a thousand. Oh, crazy. And he not only finished Ironman, but the next week he ran the New York City Marathon. And the year <laughs> later, he swam, rode, and ran across the U.S. and changed perception about what somebody could do with, with AIDS and showed that exercise could help overcome that disease with the right cocktail. He ended up working for Abbott Labs and be, get in to this day. He, he was supposed to be dead 30 years ago. Really? And Jimmy is, is, is out there uh, still not competing in triathlon, but still fit and happy. That is, that's crazy. That's insane. That was an amazing story. Um, Another one that another gentleman by the name of Clayton Tresca, and this is back in 2009, 2010 era, but he was a 290 pound Marine and he uh, had testicular cancer. And while he was uh, while he was recovering from that, he got into swimming, biking, and running, and he was having back pain. And meanwhile, he was in remission. And the doctors were saying, "You're you're fine. Your back pain is from your training, all this bike stuff you're doing." Hmm. Well, it turned out that his back pain was because the tumor had come back, and it was like a baseball-sized tumor on his collarbone. He had he was stage four. He was given he was given a little over a year to live, and when I first met him, he came to a tri club of San Diego Q and A I was doing with Chris Carmichael, Lance's coach at the time, and he was wearing now everybody wears masks, right? He was wearing a surgical mask. He looked like death warmed over. Here was a guy who had been two hundred ninety pounds, and now he was like one hundred and fifty, right? And he ended up connecting with Lance's doctor, who did a he was doing a, um, uh, a he was doing a program that was very novel at the time, and basically they destroyed all of your they destroyed your cells and then hoped they would come back. So when I went to visit him <laughs> at the hospital, he was doing a mile with his he he was had his IV bag and stand a mile was thirty seven laps around the nurses station and oh. he was. He was doing that a number of times a day, and he was he was withering away to nothing. Well, meanwhile, while he's in the hospital, he signs up for seventy point three um, Hawaii. He he need, he felt he needed something. He needed something to show his family that hey, I'm I'm going to be okay. Right. I'm going to come back. So he goes. He checks himself out of the hospital and goes over. And they he says, hey, I'm just going to Hawaii. For a couple of days, he's still considered an inpatient. He goes and does the seventy point three. I'm just going to Hawaii finished. for a couple of days. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then that became an NBC story, and he came back and he finished Kona. Okay. And then he ended up working at UCSD, the hospital where he was treated. And when you when somebody's dealing with cancer and they stand on the scale in the hospital, there's pictures of Clayton with hmm. his Ironman medals. And where he was beforehand and where he where he got to because of his belief in himself and belief in this sport. And it saved his life. And to this day, he's healthy and happy and, and changing other lives. 
Yeah, no, that's crazy. I mean, obviously, like every race is kind of full of stories like that, but it's still uh, those are some pretty good ones. So those are those are your favorites, kind of over the years. I could see that. Well, and then probably my my the ultimate one, and obviously because of my relationship with Challenge Athletes mm-hmm. Foundation, but. We had um, a guy back in the early 90s. At that point, there were no wheelchairs were not allowed in Ironman. Oh, really? Right? You, hmm. Yeah. It was not until 94 that Dr. John Franks was allowed to participate. And he had this, you know, do the swim. And he swam a backstroke and he had like webbed gloves that he used. And then he did a hand cycle for the bike and a racing chair for the run. And he he missed the bike cutoff time in ninety four and ninety five and ninety four. Then John McLean from Australia came over, and he missed the bike cutoff time in ninety five and ninety six. And actually, in ninety six, they had him go off and do the marathon in his racing chair and gave him a medal when he came across the finish line. Oh, even and though he didn't. His brother, huh? Yeah, his brother said, "You can't keep that. You didn't miss, make all the cutoff time." So. He ends up coming back in 97, making all the cutoff times and, and finishing the race. He was official, first official wheelchair guy to finish it. And then the following year is when this, this three-year Dave Scott, Mark Allen type of battle ensued between Navy SEAL Carlos Maleta, who had been shot in the back in Panama while oh. they were securing President Noriega's plane oh, man. and was paralyzed from the waist down, and David Bailey. Supercross star making $750,000 a year, paralyzed during a, a training mishap on his motorcycle. And those three, those three years, those two guys, they had a battle where every year, the 98, Carlos went 10.55, which would have won the right. Ironman overall in both 78 and 79. So he changed perceptions. It wasn't about can we finish. It was how fast can we go. Then in 98, in 99, he won again against david and then in 2000 i just had this gut that it was going to be a race okay and i told carlos i said carlos i think it's gonna be a race this year and and, and he goes bob i know you believe that but it's gonna be over early so carlos goes by david on polani like he's you know like he's on a moped and then he gets five minutes on david and then david catches him on the hand cycle heading back into town and then david flats and back then you finished out at the Kona Surf Hotel, which is now the Sheridan. Okay. So for the last five miles, David lost another five minutes dealing with his flat. And then Carlos comes through town, and he's got a five-minute lead. And David's mom and his wife are on the side of the road giving him the golf clap. You know, like, oh, good like, try, oh but, nice job. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, good, good try. But they're way, he's way up the road. So get to the energy lab, and he's got now Carlos's lead is two minutes. Coming out of the energy lab, they're side by side. And David goes by him and ends up winning this race. And I go up to Carlos, I go up to David at at the end of the race and say, you you know, you want to go get a massage? He goes, no, no, I need to wait for Carlos. So he finishes. Carlos comes in and they touch, they wear these grimy gloves when they're using the racing chair. And they touch gloves and embrace. And I see David say something to Carlos. And as they were rolling away, I said, so, Carlos, what did he say to you? He said, he said, thank you. I said, what? He said, thank you for pushing me to a level I wouldn't have reached on my own. And what hit me, it wasn't about the disability. It wasn't about the wheelchairs. It was two great athletes who wanted the same prize. And that's mm-hmm. universal. Mm-hmm. That wasn't about somebody being a challenged athlete. It was being an athlete 
and two guys who wanted the same thing and both of them pushing each other to a level neither of them I think would have reached on their own right 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 do you I mean I like people can't see you or anything so they might think you're like reading all of this off of but you just like memorize you just know all this off the top of your head how do you remember all of these like what someone ran what year and how like it's all it's all Uh, up here you know what? It's, uh, I've had um, people close to me saying, you know, you need to get that old crap out of your head so you can make room for some new crap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I think I got old crap and new crap in there. Okay. I got old crap in there. Yeah, I mean, you've kind of become like the sports, I was going to say unofficial historian, but I guess it's official, right? Like you're pretty much the sports historian, more or less. So. Well, I've done, I did the 25th anniversary book, the 30th anniversary book, the 40th anniversary book. So okay. I've got a lot of it. And it, in my house, is, as you can see, because you, you got a camera, <laughs> I mean, my whole here is my, you know, Iron War bobbleheads and, uh, you know, uh, Iron Man books and mm-hmm. photos of Mark Allen and Dave Scott and Tom Warren and, you know, Chrissy Wellington. And I, it's, yeah. I love all of it. It's a, it's a very special sport that changes a lot of lives. How has it? Ch- I mean, obviously, I ask a lot of people this, but you should know more than that. how has it changed. Like it's it feels like it's been around forever, but it's really only forty years. That's not that old for yeah. a sport, but it's changed a lot in forty years. Like it's really different. You know what's fascinating to me? If you look at the swim and run times mm-hmm. going back to Dave Scott, and Mark Allen, nineteen eighty nine. You know, around fifty minutes for the swim. Um, you know, Mark ran 240, which mm-hmm. it, most people still aren't doing that. Right. That it's would be good. Bike. Yeah. If uh, you look at the, the yeah. bike times, because of the equipment, because of power meters, because of the, the training, the coaching, all of it, people are able to attack the bike. But, you know, if you put Mark Allen and Dave Scott out there with the same equipment that the guys are using now, I, I think they'd be going just as fast. Hmm. I, you know, you think about those guys going – um, uh, Mark and Dave going eight oh nine and eight ten right. on uh, uh, with with the same type of and ba- the I think the fastest bike split Mark Allen ever had was four twenty nine, and based on where they're going now four oh eight is what Cam has done there. Mm-hmm. I'd be stunned if those guys both were weren't both going uh, four ten to four fifteen based on the equipment that they, that's available today this sounds like a like a we need to like mock up like a science engineering project to like take yes. their power from the 80s and put it on a modern aero bike and yeah and see what happens exactly <laughs> that would be pretty cool that would do be. one of those things like they do in boxing right where we we mock it up where it's uh muhammad ali against jack dempsey and and joe lewis and yeah. all those type of guys and just sort of create a little video of, you know okay mark allen now is leading Jan Fredano, big stuff <laughs> Exactly. We just, fun. I, I think boxing probably has a few more like resources and money than triathlon. It's a little bigger, but you know, that's okay. A little bigger. Whatever. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the sports also changed. No. I mean, when you did the first, like the first one you did back in the eighties, it was what a mm-hmm. hundred people, something like that. And now it's, yeah, now it's 23,000. So whatever. It's huge in, in Hawaii and much less like there's hundreds of races around the world. It's gotten so much bigger too. It's just completely right. changed in that level. But you know what? It, what I think has mm-hmm. not changed is if you go to any race and that and stand by the finish line, mm-hmm. and you see the emotion of of people coming across that finish line. That to me, when I did the race in 1980, and we had no clue. So seriously, <laughs> my roommate at the time was a guy named Ned Overend, who was world mountain became world mountain bike champion. But this is so long ago, mountain bikes didn't exist, right? They didn't. Right. What he was going to 
for a living didn't exist yet. It's sort of like, you know, talking to a guy who's winning the Indianapolis 500 and when he got into it, cars didn't exist. <laughs> it's like that's, that's sort of what it was. So Ned and I, you know, really, we found out about the event by reading it in Sports Illustrated. Right. And it, when we f- bought our bikes at a police auction for 75 bucks and mine was burnt in a fire and put <laughs> 10 years tent in a sleeping bag on it because I thought you swam 2.4 road 56, camped out and rode back the next right, day. And did the right. That would be reasonable. We yeah. Yeah. We didn't we didn't really know what we were doing. But when I came across the finish line, I knew that it changed me. And more importantly, I knew that it would change other people. Mm-hmm. Right. So that led to leaving as a teacher at the time and went to work for a magazine called Running a Triathlon News, which led to creating Competitor magazine. And, but there's something special about that event that and that our sport that just changes people. You know, it makes you better at everything you do. It makes you a better parent, better employee, better employer. They're, they're, and, you know, I tell people all the time when they talk about, you know, hey, I'm a runner. And I'm like, hey, that's great that you're a runner. But you're going to get to a point of no return, right? A point of diminishing return. When you turn 45 or 50, understand you will never be any faster oh, than no. you will. Oh, no. Right? Oh, no. But our fountain of youth, the triathlon, I can be, I turn 70 next year. I'm going to be faster at 70 than I was at 50. Are you going to do an Ironman then at 70? (laughs) I like races where I can be in a beer garden by 830. Just go faster. Yeah. 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 With our our 60 to death category, we're out at the races every week. That's I sort of miss. That's what I miss a lot is, is I raced 30 times last year. Oh, really? And being at the races on the weekends with the other guys in the 60 to death category. And, you know, we, we were out there in the racks and it's, you know, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning and there's nobody there yet. It's pitch black. And we're like, well, why do we do this? Right. And in unison, we always say, because we can, you know, <laughs> it, it, by eight thirty in the morning, you're wearing a sombrero and you're in a beer garden. Yeah. Most people our age are in an old folks home with a walker, <laughs> you know, worried about gumming their food. So it's, it's just a different it's a different world that we live in, and it's there's something really, really special. It, it is the fountain of youth. Triathlon is the fountain of youth. And so you're saying, like, that's, I mean, that kind of is what hasn't changed over the years. Because obviously, like, it's a lot more of a spectacle now. It's a lot more money, a lot more sponsor, right? Like, it feels like you're on the big island during race week, and it's, it's a little overwhelming. But you're saying, like, really at the core, that hasn't changed. Not at all. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's... It means just as much, right? Mm-hmm. It means just as much to so now, of course, you go to Kona and there's a huge gap between twelve hours and eighteen hours, right? It used to be or seventeen hours. It used to be that people finish throughout the the day. Well, now people are so fast. Right. right. I think if there's two thousand people in the race, eighteen hundred of them are done by you know, by 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 dark. Right. By six o'clock PM, they're all done. And then you have, have sort of the, the other people who are doing their first ever Ironman or just qualified or they got in through, you know. Uh, or they're uh, 70. Yeah. Charity. Right. They're 70. Right. And that's those are the, the folks where it means so much to when mm-hmm. people have done a ton of them. It's oh, yeah, they look at their watch and they go, oh, well, I should have gone faster. <laughs> but for for people who are coming there for the very first time and it's the mecca of our sport and to come across that finish line, 
there's just something so special to that. Mm-hmm. And that, that will never get old. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It has gotten, I mean, obviously it's gotten faster. Sports gotten bigger, you know, it's more people get into it. It'll get faster. But th- when they were trying to figure out the new swim starts and, and spacing, cause you know, it's so condensed, it was something crazy where the huge number of people get out of the water in like a 10 minute window, like 58 minutes yep. to like an hour 12 or something like, and if everyone gets out of the water at the exact same time and they all are fast bikers and they all run, the, like it just doesn't, right? It's just too many people, like all right there together. It's a little crazy. You can't enforce, that was the big issue. <laughs> I've talked to Mark Roy before, you know, the timing guy and he talked about that you can't, there's no way to enforce drafting right. when you've got a thousand people out of the water within 12 minutes. Right. There's just no way. There's not like the math doesn't work. Yeah. (laughs) No, it just, it doesn't work, which is great. I'm glad that they've divided it up and doing more and more, you know, wave starts because I think that's, you know, that's the future. Right. And obviously with the whole COVID world, it's going to be more of the future, more individual time trials. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So as you kind of, I mean, let's talk like for COVID for a second, because you obviously have been paying attention to sport. This year has been weird. So a couple of questions. One of you, like, what do you think is going to happen? Right. Like with. With races, are we going to see them come back next year? I mean, it's, it's changing everywhere. You're in California, which is obviously very different from Europe or right. Australia or Florida or, yeah. Everywhere. Everywhere. It's, it's main, tricky. Yeah. I was going to say the main thing is that, uh, you know, it's funny because people, I was in the publishing business, right? Mm-hmm. We owned we met magazines and we've both seen yeah. the how that has changed, right? Publishing has changed significantly. So people are like, well, races will come back and everything will be the same. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know. We don't know. We know a lot of race directors who have basically moved on mm-hmm. and said, I, you know, one, I don't know if I'll ever be able to put my races on again. Two, I can't sit back and wait. And three, if my margin is so narrow anyways, if you're telling me that rather than a thousand people, I can only take 300, right. but I still have to pay for the permits I have to pay for the food. I have to pay for my staff. It, it doesn't pencil anymore. I mean, our race directors, to me, have always been our endangered species. They're the most important link in the chain. And uh, they are incredibly threatened right now. And it's a tough world anyways. If you think about it, every race you put on, you've got to swim, which you're dealing with lifeguards. You're dealing with water quality. You're, you're dealing with your, you know, usually they're down by a beach. So you're dealing with the municipalities down mm-hmm. there. Then you're dealing with people going 30 miles an hour on bikes, which is pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you get into the run. So a lot of race directors in our world have, even before COVID hit, they could see the handwriting on the wall and they were moving into trail running. Hmm. And, you know, hey, listen, I can shoot, I can blow a whistle out in the woods. People go run and, uh, you know, I'll meet them at the finish line. It's pretty simple to be a race director for a trail run. You're like, just don't get lost, guys. Right. <laughs> triathlon is very, it's a, it's, it's a very difficult sport for the race director. Right. And, you know, when, when the costs keep going up and the, the return keeps going down, how long can they survive? Now, the big ones, I mean, Ironman mm-hmm. with huge funding, I, I can't see those guys going away, but I do see a lot of the local race directors, they're, they're going to be struggling for a while. Yeah, I mean, they were already, um, there already kind of was a gap between the big races and the small races, for sure. Yep. So we'll see. But yeah, the other thing that's been interesting this year is obviously, uh, you know, we basically didn't have races all year. Every pro I've talked to has sworn they were in their best shape ever, this, you know, before races got canceled. 
it's kind of funny to speculate a little like who would have won this year who would have been great mm. you know yeah. yeah oh you mean in Kona yeah like when you're like hmm whose year was going to well, be this year what? it's interesting because <laughs> Jan Ferdano crashed a couple weeks ago right right it, the reality is he if this was this year he'd be out of the race mm-hmm. he would not have gone to the starting line based on the crash he had it was it was there's no way so it's, it's, let's say Jan is out of the race. So now you've got Patrick Lenge with uh, having dropped out last year because he was sick. Right. And then you, you know, you, Alistair Brownlee is, I think he was 12th in his first Olympics in 2008. And when, when he doesn't do well, the fire gets lit. So, you know, he came back from that to win the next two gold medals. Well, he was 21st in Kona last year, ran a 313 marathon. You know, the next time out, he's going to be running, you know, probably a 250 off the bike, right. and he'll be right there. So I, I think that if you look forward to next year, um, I, you're going to have some of the guys. I don't know if we'll have a big Olympic exodus, but I think there's a good chance you'll have both Javier. I mean, Alistair's already qualified, mm-hmm. so he'll be on the starting line, and he'll go to the Olympics. So you'll have Alistair, you'll have Jan. Uh, you'll have Sebastian, you, you've got all T.O. Mm-hmm. after, I mean, T.O. With a, with a broken foot and only five runs beforehand, coming in second place, his best race ever, first American under eight uh-huh. hours. Uh, that's pretty damn impressive. So I think the broken the, foot actually helped yeah. him, though, like secretly. Like, well, I think, no yeah. question. <laughs> we've, we've, Kelly, you've probably seen it. How many times where you get sick going into a race right. and you're like questioning my, your fitness? And next thing you know, you have the best race ever. And you're like, oh, where'd that come from? Because you're fresh. <laughs> right, exactly. Karen right? Myers uh, had this great line. She said, I'd rather be 10% undertrained than 1% overtrained. Yeah. And it's true. You know, you, you want to be fresh and ready. And a lot of times you go to that race and you've, you've checked every box. You've done every workout. And you have a crappy race. Yeah. And then other times you're scrambling just to get to the starting line. And you have the best race you ever had. I think we're going to see that next year coming out of this year. Some people, you know, this year has been kind of stressful for everyone. Some people have gone super overboard. Some people have rested. Right. Some people, tra- we'll see what happens, right? Next year. It'll be interesting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it'll be interesting too, if, if I'm assuming because we've had NBA, we've had baseball and all the major sports have had their gig. I can't imagine the Olympics not happening. Yeah. Right? So I'm, I'm imagining that the Olympics are going to happen. And if they, but if they don't happen, how does that change things for something like Ironman? Mm-hmm. You know, do you, if, if, if the Olympics are not happening, then guys can spend the whole summer training, burning <laughs> themselves out, which could be a problem. So it's, it's going to be really fun. I want to see Javier Gomez and Elster Brownlee and Jan Ferdano and Sebastian Keenley, all those guys and T.O., all those guys healthy, happy, and on the starting line in okay. Kona. Okay. And, 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 you know, not, not overcooked. That's not overcooked. Kelly, one of my concerns has been, like I said, back in the day, Luke Van Lerde and Karen Smyers and Natasha Bodman were invited to Kona. Right. They didn't have to qualify. Right. They were, they were top athletes in the world. So they were invited. I, my concern is people chasing getting to Kona and doing in three, four Ironman races right. to get there. And then at the same time, doing four or five or six 70.3s like they're running a 5K. If you're a world-class marathoner, you're not running five half marathons a year. 
No. That's, that's a lot of high-intensity running. So that that's really one of my concerns is people burning themselves out. Yeah, I mean, they, they have to. to yeah, they have to to make the money, but everybody's been very good. I mean, the move away from the point system for the pros back to the win one and you're in has been good. I think everyone thought that was good. It helped. Better. It helped, yeah, yeah. with that. Um, but now there's, just enough, needs... there's enough races. Yeah, there's enough races need... you find one you can win. There needs to be more money now. And then, and then you know, and then they can just do one race a year and wait for Kona, right? Like that'll... That'll solve the problem. That's, so. Well, that, that's really what, if you look back yeah. to the, the Dave Scott, Mark Allen era, you had two things going on. You had this thing called the Ironman World Series, which people don't even remember, but it was like the best out of five Ironmans. Huh. So you had Paul Huddle and Ken Glaw and Ray Browning and all these pros who, Scott Tinley, those guys were trying to win the Ironman World Series. Dave Scott and Mark Allen... If you look back at it, I think Dave did Ironman Japan in 89. Mark might have done another Ironman. But for the most part, the only Ironman they did was Kona. Right. So when you, when, they, when you went to the starting line in 89, you had two races. Dave and Mark were racing for the win. All the other guys were racing for the win of the Ironman World Series. Right. Hmm. So you know, you, you, when you have one other Ironman in your legs or you have four other Ironmans in your legs – going into Kona, different different gig. Yeah, because you only have so many, right? It's not the whole thing. You only have so many of these, maybe. I don't know what that number is, but there's a number. Yeah. So. I think so, because if you look at Pete Jacobs, who won in 2012 and really has not, you know, not performed at anywhere near that level since, but he'd done over 30 Ironmans, right. starting at the age of 21. So I think there's a point of diminishing return in terms of, you know, you, there's a finite number of those that are in your body. And I used to see it with marathoners. I remember watching this great Australian marathoner, Rob DiCostello, and he was at the starting line and he'd been, he had a, a long career. And you could look at his eyes and see that he really, he knew what was going to be there at mile 20. Mm-hmm. He knew what he was going to be feeling like, and he was dreading it, hmm. right? The, and I see that with some of the Ironman guys when they, when they go too hard too often. And actually, perfect example to me, and this is when everything changed for the Ironman guys. So Crowey, um, Crowey wins in uh, 08, 09, and then in 2010, Maca got a group together, and they attacked him, and they got away, and Maca won. And then in 11, Crowey wins 70.3 Worlds. Then he wins Kona and breaks a world record. Then six months later, at that point, that's when it, they said you had to, as a as someone who had won the world championship, you had to quote unquote validate. Right, you have to go right. do another Ironman, which that had never happened before. So he goes and does Melbourne, and he ends up having to run a two thirty seven marathon to beat Cam Brown, who ran two forty. It was the first ever Ironman uh, Melbourne, and it was important to Crowey because the awards were named after McKeeley Jones. And after Greg Welch. Mm -hmm. So he wanted that trophy. And if you look at what happened after that, so he wins that race. He um, he he had three world class performances in six months. Mm -hmm. And then he really could not perform at the full Ironman distance level, stayed successful at 70.3. But his terms of his fulls, he realized that he was done. Hmm. Right. He realized that that race was sort of the topper and put him over the edge. 
And, you know, his career as a full iron, could he have done well in Kona again? I think he could have, but I think doing those three world-class performances in six months, that was it. He was just you know, done. You only, like yeah. we said, you only have the X amount in your body. And it's funny, in running, Ryan Hall, 2007 yeah. to 2011, he did nine or ten full marathons, all between 204.58 and 212. Right. Done. Yeah. Done. And Chrissy, same time frame, 2007 to 2011, Chrissy did 13 fulls in between Ironman and Challenge events, you know, went 818 in Roth mm-hmm. and 819, uh, won all of them, went undefeated in 13 races and was done, right? She knew that her body after that 2011 race, which was one of the gutsiest performances I've ever seen, uh, after that 2011 race, she just dropped the mic, you know? And if you look at it, every other race she won, she won by eight minutes, 10 right. minutes, 12 minutes. That race she won by what two minutes? Yeah, Over, I mean she had like come back from the crash and everything, and it was like a whole. It was she had to kind of yeah. battle for it. Yeah, totally. And that's what she loved. Mm-hmm. Finally, she had that race where she pushed herself to the edge. And, and if you look at uh, when I was chatting with Jan Ferdano the other day, if you look at he just broke the course record right in Kona, right? And at the finish line, at the end of you know, of, of going what seven fifty one, he's the greatest Ironman of all time, as soon as he stepped across that line, his body gave out. Right. And my, look at the photo. Mark Allen and Dave Scott are propping him up. And the fine line that there is between be, having being totally on and winning and setting the world record and being done is, is so minute. It's so uh-huh. narrow. And, you know, who knows? I remember Macca, when he... Uh, when he got second to Norman Stadler in 2006 and he lost by 71 seconds. And everybody was like, man, yeah. if it was another mile, you would have got him. He goes, if it was another mile, I wouldn't have finished. <laughs> yeah. I would have been done. I think we've and, all and been, there. I mean, we haven't all set world record, but we've all been that where as soon as you cross the finish line, like suddenly, you know, you start throwing it's up, okay. you start crying, you fall over. Right. Like it is what yeah. it is. Yeah. The body is. You, you don't realize that your gas tank has been on empty for the yeah. last seven miles, but it is. And now it's now there's a reason. Now you've been notified that it actually <laughs> is on empty. <laughs> like, all right. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we're all missing it this year. I think it'll be exciting to see next year. Um, here's my last like question for you as we kind of like, you know, when people I think everyone's kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for dreaming right now imagining right yeah. like wishing they were there right so what is your kind of like secret go-to spot in cone like your your thing that's like oh man every time i have to go to this place well obviously i spend most of my time at, at huggos and Huggos <laughs> on a rock i love i love that place i love lava lava beach club okay uh, which is wonderful yeah and we we love going out um at the end if you drive basically to the end of the road through Javi, mm-hmm. you drive all the way to the end and hike down to what's called Black Sands Beach, whatever oh, it's yeah. called down there. Love that. And then one of the things we love is uh, when we come back for Ultraman, usually huh. at Thanksgiving, yeah. we follow that event around the island. There's a thing called the Red Road, which I don't know if you've ever been on, on the other side of the island that is canopy trees over this, this black asphalt that is five feet from the ocean. It's just beautiful. It's just yeah, so yeah. special. And we've been out there and seen dolphins and it's, uh, there's something really special there. Plus we love going, um, 
we love going swimming out by Captain Cook and that right. whole area. It's, yeah, there's so many great things to do there. It's where we we miss. We'd be leaving tomorrow. I know. We'd be heading over tomorrow to go to go to Big Island and spend our usual 12, 13 days. I know our whole staff can't decide if this is like a break for the year because usually we like work really hard for ten days, or if this is you know. I mean, we don't get to go to Hawaii you now, so don't get to go to Hawaii. Get to miss out miss out on something that's very special for us. Yeah. So I think we're all waiting anxiously for next year. Uh, and hopefully we get to see you there next year. Thanks so much for, for kind of, you know, reliving all of this with us and, and talking us through all of your favorites. Anytime, Kelly. Thanks so much for including me. This is always fun to chat and catch up with you. Thanks to Bob and to all of our editors, Liz, Chris, and Emma Kate for all their hard work every year and especially during this weird year. And thanks to all of you. Keep training, keep dreaming, and keep listening.